0: Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African, uh, no, the African perspective. I'm still getting used to this thing, but I'll get it right one day. But 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to South Africa is our frequency. We're also on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Thank you also for listening to us online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to be looking at the nature of political protests uh, nationwide. protest action is expected tomorrow in South Africa in opposition to President Jacob Zuma's cabinet reshuffle. Civil society and opposition political parties are said to be holding various political rallies in the country. However, politically motivated protests are not new in South Africa and on social media we've seen that also there's been questions on why these contemporary protests are there. There's polarized responses especially for tomorrow's organized protests with uh, some people People questioning the effectiveness and the value of these protests, do they actually create some form of uh, final consequence? And also, whose interests are these protests serving? So those are the questions we'll be asking uh, in this particular uh, program. But let's start with our guests before I give you the context of what's happening in South Africa. We'll play some audio a little bit later, but let me introduce uh, G- uh, Gwen ngwenya who's the COO from the South African Institute. Institute of Race Relations. Also, have uh, Kenneth uh, Lukuko, who is the senior project leader for community healing from the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation. While well, we live in very, uh, very polarized times, Gwen, let me start with you in terms of uh, the political nature and also just how protests are unfolding, especially in uh, democratic uh, uh, South Africa. But the culture of uh, protests is historical in the country. We've seen a protest of a political nature for a long time uh, what do these pro kind of protests say, especially the modern ones about our democracy?
1: The point that I'd make is that we need to realise that the right to to assembly and to to picket and to submit petition, you know, petitions is a constitutionally enshrined right in mm. section twenty seven, sorry, section seventeen of the constitution. So it is important, and especially as part of our history, that we exercise that right. And I think many South Africans are feeling at the moment that we're facing. Um, threats to our democracy or at least that's the political rhetoric that's being put forward and so protesting is, is one way to show that we still do have a vibrant democracy and not to forget there are legitimate concerns um that, you know the general members of the public would like to express my concern is though is that like i think you you probably referencing people you've been speaking to or general public sentiment, I too am skeptical about protesting or using um, protest as the way to to make grievances heard. It is important in between elections but I think even more important is that we realize that one of the key cornerstones of democracy is plurality and the fact that we live in a multi-party um, you know democracy and I don't think that South Africans are exercising their voices at the ballot enough. The ballot box itself is a fight of protest, in my view, and there's no more efficient way to ensure that you um, you know vote in for a political party that you believe will address your 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 concerns. Mm. And so, while 2019 is still two years away, I think it's important for people to not have amnesia, not forget their grievances when they arrive at the ballot box. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know hand can't remember how many political parties we have, but I know that when national elections arrive, it's usually quite a long sheet. Sure, sure. Um, You know, we have a plethora of options. So I'm not advocating for any one political party, but I am urging South Africans to, now is the time to, you know, call up your, your local representative, or if you do have access to the internet, go online. Most of the political parties have a website. Really go through each Parties offering and, and platforms, and um, if, where they have, maybe some of them have mm-hmm. governed, maybe as a small municipality. Many have governed mm-hmm. nationally. That various parties, not just, I'm not even talking about the DAE, but from the IFP and other parties who have governed in these palaces, try and find out what their government's track record, what that looks like, and see perhaps if you can bring yourself to vote differently in the next election.
0: Let me move to you, Kenneth, your thoughts around uh, this issue of protests in South Africa, especially now that in the last two, three years, we've seen very much uh, political parties becoming central in uh, this uh, uh, issue of uh, organizing uh, protests for their own political agendas. Uh, Do you think those actually are an agenda that actually meets the cries of uh, the majority of the populations? Speaking from a community perspective, Kenneth.
2: Thanks, Benjamin. I think um, it is actually a a useful thing for for, for building our social uh, cohesion Mm. uh, in the post-apartheid era. Uh, We come from obviously a very divided uh, South Africa in terms of the social divisions of race, uh, party political affiliation and the like. So now when we start now to to reimagine a culture of protest that is actually going to be far more inclusive and include everybody, it's a bit of a challenge. I'll tell you why. We we, we look at different kinds of protests. There's a service delivery protests that are very spontaneous, you know, coming straight from communities, you know, mm-hmm. uh, complaining about things like housing and issues of, uh, you know, industrial action and the like. And then there's also the more sort of like middle class but also younger generation uh, protests such as Peace Must Fall, um, Roads Must Fall, that have included the university uh, students over the past three years or so. That is, those are also quite spontaneous, but in terms of how they're articulated, they're a little bit more, um, you know, almost, uh, you know, using theory and the issues of decolonization and the psychology of oppression and how people who've been historically oppressed need to to find you know their voice in, in, a, in a far more psychosocially and psychologically empowered way and then there's a third type which is now the Zuma must fall kind of protest that, has, mm. that have really to do far more with what you're talking about you know the, party, the political parties in parliament and and those protests tend to to have, you know, obviously be driven or directed or led by the political parties in parliament, and then the people on the ground tend to follow. And and what I notice is that, uh, <clears throat> you know, they are all useful, but there are some interesting, uh, uh, you know, uh, distinctions between the three, because those that tend to come from parliament and political parties have far more media attention. And you will find them in all the TV stations yeah, 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 and, and, yeah, the like, yeah. and the like, and even the experts. You are talking about people who can quote statistics, who can use very emotive language, but we are every time they are started, you're not quite sure what people on the ground actually think and whether people on the ground actually really agree with what they are saying. And then what, yeah. what you end up having is that uh, because there's been a lot of attention that has come from media uh, The media sphere. Mm. When they trickle down now to actual marches on the ground, you find that uh, there's a bit of a a disconnect, Uh, and you will find that at times it's it's, they are obviously far more multiracial. You'll have far more people from the white community Mm. in different Mm. parts, Mm. you know, uh, than the other two that I mentioned earlier. The service delivery protests tend to, you know, have mostly people from the black community and Mm. the poor community. Mm the fees must fall will still have mostly black students that coming from the you know more affluent kind of like you know higher education institutions so so there is something for us to learn from all three and at times especially with the fees must fall one and also the Zuma must fall Mm -hmm. the issue of race has been far more starkly uh, evident there Mm -hmm. in the sense that the issues of financial exclusion Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. language policy in universities Uh, have have tended to polarize the student population at the universities along race. Mm -hmm. And also the issues of the Zuma must fall campaigns, they tend to be multiracial in Parliament in terms of the different political parties. But then when it comes to, you know, people on the ground actually coming to the marches, again you see you know, uh, at least in terms of the social media, Mm -hmm. the issue of race coming up again where people basically argue that uh, the issues that have far more support from a multiracial uh, audience tend to be those issues that don't affect the historically uh, uh, oppressed uh, people you know on the ground and 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 and, and so you find that uh, there's almost like a hierarchy yeah. you know there are the issues yeah. that are highly historical such as the, as the land question issues of labor brokers where people say you will hardly ever find people from the white community there, and you will find that those are less multiracial in terms of the, the you know the, the the following, and then those that are far more multiracial also tend to be in terms of the, the class issue, the, the the higher living standard measurements or the middle class, and in our work in the reconciliation barometer, for an example, we find that, uh, you know, the the the, the 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 interracial contact in in South Africa tends to be far more enhanced uh, uh, by, high, you know, the higher up you go in terms of uh, the living standard measurement. So mm-hmm. the more middle class you are, the more uh, contact, social contact you will have with people from uh, uh, other races. But then the more middle class you are, the more removed you are from the issues that are bread and butter for the people on the ground, such as housing and industrial action. And issues, uh, sure. for sure. example, of, of decolonization well, and the
0: like. Yeah, let me take a quick break because I want to unpack some of those uh, various elements that you highlighted, which almost kind of sum up the kind of the theme that we wanted to look at on kind of the nature of these political protests. Just if you're joining us now, that's the voice of Kenneth Lukuko, who is the Senior Project Leader for Community Healing from the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation. And I started the conversation with Gwen Nguenya, who is the CEO from the South African uh, Institute of race relations let me take a quick break and then i'll be back with you we have great
3: news for you channel africa has gone mobile if you have a cell phone you can now download the mobile app for android you can get it on google play get the latest news from africa get the channel africa app channel africa bringing you the african perspectives
0: While well, you're listening to Channel Africa, uh, the African perspective. I always have to pause the Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to southern Africa. I have to pause because we do have a different identity. I'm used to the old one, but I need to also reform my thinking to the African perspective. Remember, if you want to check out our new identity, go to our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, we know that uh, tomorrow there's going to be what is claim to be a nationwide protest action uh, that is expected in opposition to South Africa's President Jacob Zuma's uh, cabinet reshuffle. We're discussing the nature of uh, political uh, protests in South Africa. Are they effective and whose interests are they serving? And uh, just uh, uh, when we started the show, uh, we started with uh, Gwen Gwenya who was starting with sentiments, saying that uh, uh, it's very interesting to see that uh, during a presidential term, uh, we see a lot of political unrest in terms of through various protests but it seems like later on when people have to actually make a very decisive decision in the polls. It's very much uh, different to what you're seeing happening on the ground. And Kenneth Lukuko was looking at the various dynamics, looking at the racial nature of uh, uh, po- uh, of these protests, and also how also they've been also come almost like they have different classes of nature. Almost different uh, uh, protests uh, represent a different demographic every time you see, and different racial dynamics are also playing a, a factor in that. But I want to come back to you, Gwen, in terms of of that particular uh, issue of the interests within uh, these uh, political uh, uh, protests. And also, I had a problem with this protest for tomorrow because it seems to really represent a political elite. And because you don't see really mobilization in the grassroots and in townships, that kind of uh, mobilization for protest, it rather seems like Having a, an elitism nature to it Your thoughts around That issue of interests When it comes to uh, protests
1: Well I mean I think it's also important That we that everyone is, is made to feel That they can become part of the conversation In my view the reason why So many uh, protests Lack that kind of diversity racially Is because I do think That there's a very real uh, perception In South Africa that for example If you're white you have no place you know, giving suggestions or talking about, you know, land reform or um, social housing, etc. So if that's not your everyday lived experience, then you have no place making a comment on it. And we know that that language uh, exists because the ideas of white privilege and even when it comes to gender, men talking about um, rape and other sensitive issues, there is now a growing tendency to to to, to pigeonhole um, discussions and to make it seem as though only comment or propose solutions on an issue if you yourself have been directly affected by it. But I think if we can open up that space and um, mm-hmm. you know come to a realization that everyone has a, has a part to play and that everyone can be part of the conversation, whether it's on land reform or whichever issue it might be then I think you will see more people coming out and being or feeling safe to, to express those opinions. And as for tomorrow's protest, I do think that some of the reasons why we haven't seen that mobilization on the ground is just the reality that actually most of these structures are quite thin on the ground, at least that is um, that is my view. Mm-hmm. For example, save South Africa. you can have It's very easy in South Africa if you have access, in terms of now organizing, if you have access to the Internet, and you can reach out to maybe some journalists or various papers, it's actually quite easy to be able to punch above your your weight. So actually with maybe just two or three people with no grassroots or no actual Mm -hmm. um, members as part of your structure, to, to get your voice heard. But of course, I, I mean, in terms of um, different, differential access to those kinds of resources, yes, it is a problem because someone taps in a rural area who's also wishing to mobilize and maybe has to walk quite some distance maybe to access an internet cafe, it doesn't have the same mobilization opportunities. But I think it's also a strength in South Africa that you don't necessarily have to um, you know, approach thousands or hundreds of people before mm-hmm. you can get your voice heard. In my experience it has been that if anyone writes to a newspaper um you know, it, it's, it's, and it's, and it's some that's relevant and they're offering in, in your fresh insights, it is likely that they will get published or if they can mm. start a website, it's also a way to, to mobilize. So I think grassroots movements also have to modernize in some ways mm. and try to use the, the strategies or tactics of other groups that are actually thin on members but, as I say, manage to punch well above their weight because they have um, access to those... You know, to, to those platforms. Yeah. Just one other point I also yeah. wanted to um, to make, not directly to your question, but mm-hmm. is that like community organisation is important. But um, you know the reason that I mean, and the reason they're important is because political parties are often not accessible. So it makes sense that it would be your church or any other group that's close to the community in which community members feel um, you know they need to organise um, around. But Protests must also be accompanied by a program of action. I think political voices gain ascendancy, or they they are they are given primacy in terms of commentary, because it's often politicians that people look to 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 address whatever challenge or concern that forms the substance of that protest. So, whilst it may be a community protest, maybe organised by the local church or. Um, you know, mothers, not community, whatever it may be, mm. at the end of the day, the challenge that they are expressing, they are usually looking to a politician to, to, to address that challenge. And and that makes sense, because, well, they're the ones in those governing positions. Mm. I think to, to, to shift the focus away from politics would also require a shift in terms of onus of, um, not so much onus of, I suppose you can call it onus of responsibility, to say that if, if there is a, a particular challenge, whether it's a you know, local tap, it's not working, whatever the issue may, um, may be, if you want it to the attention to be based on community leaders, and it should be community leaders that you're looking to address. And there are a myriad of examples um, of communities taking it up on themselves to, to address to address challenges. So if they have an issue with crime, you have community safety groups, et cetera. And I think if the community starts to look within the community to to address their challenges, then the focus will be on the community. But as long as people are looking to politicians to solve the issues, then it makes sense that when the protest happens, politicians are
0: then expected to respond Mm. It is kind of a a friction isn't it Kenneth what uh, Gwen is highlighting there because uh, we know the nature of uh, political parties is to garner attention through various forms. Uh, In South Africa we've seen uh, the fact that uh, you know um, uh, political parties have started actually also going to courts to actually get some form of their views asserted in in, in parliament we've also seen a trend in, in South Africa where you know social media has played a pivotal role, especially for young politicians to actually gather that support or also to have that transparent relationship with their uh, constituency or the community and the public at large. Uh, But also what's interesting is to actually the fact that we can't avoid that grassroots element, which is a very much a strength of the ruling party, which is the African National Congress. Just going back a few days ago where uh, we saw just over a few hours the the ANC Youth League had actually gathered a whole lot of people into a a, a hall or a a big stadium not a lot of people but the fact that there was that kind of abrupt gathering people from the grassroots was something that showed that you know grassroots um Rallying is something that's still not old-fashioned. It's still kind of that's community structural uh, um, strength is still something that's essential in politics. So you see those different dynamics playing a role in, in facilitating this kind of public uh, outcry.
2: Hmm. Absolutely, that's true, uh, and 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 so it, it brings to the question then the role of media as, as and I think also as Gwen was saying, you know, who's got access. To, to to media and mainstream media, and and which kind of ideological uh, you know kind of like leanings does does uh, does uh, the mainstream media you mm-hmm. know uh, support and which one does it not? Sure. Uh, we know that you know the, gra- the more grassroots conversations around change in South Africa, people who always complain that you know media does not really actually look into the the arguments that people are bringing about. They tend to only focus you know on the visible. Kind of, you know, expression of anger and burnings of things and whatever, but then not into the real policy issues. But then, when it comes to the party political, uh, you know, contestation in parliament, uh, you know, it's it's, it's it's more the opposite. So, so, so in in my in my view, there's a bit of a. Um, From our work in transitional justice or reconciliation, I see this also as a failure of transitional justice and historical justice journey, in the sense that post-apartheid in South Africa, we have not really managed to break down those traditional historical social divisions to such an extent that when injustice happens anywhere, anyone who's not necessarily having, you know, living in that that kind of a context where they, they would be affected directly, can also feel strongly about it and want to do something about it. For an example, right now, whilst there's this issue around the reshuffling in terms of national government, there's also the issue of the the issue of racism, and where you know the, the, the current prima in the Western Cape, you know, has been taken to task by a party and whatever. And now I just listened yesterday and today that uh, some in the you know in the in the support base you know, at grassroots level of, of the, you know, the, 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 the ANC and maybe, the, you know, the unions, and, you, know, uh, the, you know, the trade unions, are actually starting to say, look, we also want to bring pressure now to, to the issue of racism and decolonization and the, the, the Western Cape Premier. But then you don't find that kind of uh, commensurate, atten- you know, sense of attention to that issue, yes, the, you know, we, we we hear about how the party is trying to dilute it internally, but in terms of allowing public expression of disappointment around the issue and allowing people, you know, to to really express themselves, media does not seem to be giving that much traction mm-hmm. to that issue. Mm-hmm. So now it says to us now there's a bit of a a comp- you know you know a, a compromise on mm-hmm. on the moral high ground mm-hmm. of those leading the current, the current uh, campaigns, people are basically saying that you don't really have moral high ground when you pick and choose mm-hmm. uh, 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 which issues are more important than which. One was even saying, for an example, mm-hmm. some of the CEOs and the companies, you know, in these companies, I mean, so the, 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 the managers have said that the workers can have the day off yesterday, mm-hmm. so it will be paid leave. But then they're saying whenever they they rise around issues of industrial action, mm-hmm. they don't get that. Sure, sure,
0: so, sure. So, so
2: so the people leading the current campaign mm-hmm. are a little bit compromised when it comes to to, to the moral high ground. So mm-hmm. so it means that we've still got a long way to go, in terms of winning the hearts and minds of those on the ground to actually say, even uh, if, it, if you, you, you you know you are not one of them, they see you as uh, caring enough. About the issues that they raise, which don't, uh, you know, uh, uh, get as much attention in terms of media support, such as the current campaign does.
0: Well, I'm going to take a quick break and uh, uh, I'm going to be back and we're going to wrap it up with our guests. Very interesting dynamics indeed here that we're getting from both our experts, uh, Gwen Nguenya, who is from the South African Institute of Race Relations, and Kenneth Lukuko there, uh, who is from the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation. Let's take a quick break and then we're going to wrap it up after this. Good news for our listeners in America.
2: You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605 1711 So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711.
0: Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. While you are listening to Channel Africa, The African Perspective, I'm going to wrap it up with our guests now. And I also wanted to touch one dynamic, which is very interesting to see in uh, this contemporary climate where our politics seem to also include civil society, where civil society is starting to engage in such a political nature uh, into these uh, infights uh, within our political atmosphere. And, And that's, for me, it's a bit of a concern. I'm not sure how Healthy that is, um, Gwen. When you see civil society actually engaging in more political issues, I mean, we've seen that in very much uh, for a lot, for the last uh, two years, where uh, civil society is starting to take on the political battles and I'm not sure if that's the space they're supposed to be in. Am I fair or am I not fair by giving them those restrictions that maybe someone else say, Hey, everyone can engage in this democracy
1: No, I mean I mean I that view earlier that I think everyone should, should engage. There shouldn't be an issue that we think is a territory of one group and not a territory of another. I mean, we all share this country together. Mm. And I think that that's a a problematic idea that sometimes we are buying into, that idea of it doesn't affect me. Um, Because the reality is, and I mean, everyone is in some way or another complicit in this false notion. The poor, when it comes to something like a credit downgrade, and today we learned that the banks have also been downgraded to junk status and obviously I also see people commenting, for example, on social media, and even if I talk to bits around the office, people say, "Well, how does that really affect me?" And I think that's a problem when um, we can't make those linkages between, you know, the broader economy and the man on the, you know, the street is how, you know, yeah. a currency, you know, devaluating currency, what does it mean to you? And perhaps various people need to take on that responsibility. Politicians need to explain these issues better as to how. Um, it translates to, to the ordinary South African, but also the media, I think. But I mean, also, I, I don't want to, you know, necessarily blame them. I think there are some media outlets, and at least when I've been reading on the downgrade, who have gone to great pains, for example, to explain um, why it's problematic and why it fixed you know, you personally, mm, mm, mm. Um, but I think more of that is necessary, but not just the poor, then it also comes to the middle class, the wealthy, when it comes to issues around social housing or spatial inequality. Um, those are issues that, that will affect you. Political instability is a problem. Um, if people don't have shelter, that is, you know, sooner or later going to become your problem. So I think there shouldn't be any shunning off of any Issues or something that doesn't affect You we live in this country together and I Think we all need to be part of the engagement process mm, of dialogue mm, mm.
0: Kenneth your thoughts around that that uh, Civil uh, society Kind of mm. really coming In we've seen organizations such as the Helen Suzman Foundation we've Seen yes. the Black Sash recently Taking things to the courts There is that robustness currently in The public debate and also it's part of This facilitation of this public program. I know tomorrow all these civil society organisations, outgoing Corruption Watch, are going to be part of this march tomorrow. So you're seeing this entrenchment and the strength of civil society.
2: Mm. Yes, uh, in fact, it's like what I was saying earlier, and around this old issue of moral high ground. Because if you rise up about, about a particular issue then people yeah. actually want to see you rising about every other, other issue sure, as well. Yeah. Sure. If, if as civil society you don't do that, then the issue of trust for me is a big one because yeah. it means that uh, uh, when you try now at a later stage to intervene in a crisis, especially you know a, conf- a conflict, people are going to actually view you as aligned politically. And, sure. and sure. they are not uh, going to as easily believe in your good faith when you come to, you know, try and sort of like, you know, make them believe that you're actually, you know, neutral and you're you, you, you are actually trying to facilitate solution-seeking and the like. I mean, the, in the early 1990s, for an example, the violence that affected the East Rand before the, I mean, the, the, the political, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the election in 1994, so, yeah. um, and a lot of civil society and peace-building organizations, played a pivotal role there because they were trusted by people that they were not actually politically aligned. Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 You know, the National Peace Accord and so many other things that actually happened and civil society played a pivotal part also around the time of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and also in the aftermath of the TRC where people were really taking some of the issues around trauma in the society and, you know, the issues of trying Mm -hmm. to do these uh, kind of historical injustices and dealing with social justice issues. Mm -hmm. But now, if they, they are seen to be Politically aligned by rising up on some issues and even going to court and not doing the same with other issues mm. then then then, then, then uh, they then you know their trust is highly compromised and also the question of the moral high ground for them so they would try they should in my view, try to, as much
0: as possible to resist doing that. Mm-hmm. Let's wrap it up. Gwen, your final sentiments for this discussion. I know we've touched on so many other areas, but I know that uh, protest is something that we can't be anti, especially in a vibrant uh, uh, economy, and a vibrant uh, society such as South Africa. Uh, but also, we've seen them actually take on a violent nature at, at some point. Uh, how do we keep a protest something that is legitimate as well? Because it can become very dirty? How do we still keep it something that is effective in terms of it not being something that hurts others? We've we've seen those xenophobic attacks earlier in the year and those xenophobic protests that became very much of a conflict at the end of them but uh, it seems like that's what always happens in contemporary society where they have a violent nature and that's worrying indeed
1: I mean, My last point would just be to say that um, any protest that does happen has to be has to be done, you know, peacefully. I think that's an important part, and that's actually included in the language of the constitution in terms of what's protected. Mm. And I think community leaders have a very important role to play in mobilising people on the ground. So while it might may, a protest may start as something that maybe is seen as being organised by an elite, there is no reason why community leaders shouldn't then be. It should it should flow both ways. I think politicians mm-hmm. and should be getting contact with community leaders, but I think also community leaders should be contacting um Whichever group it is, it doesn't have to be a political party, it could be a civil society organization saying how can we get involved because this is something that actually affects my constituency as well. But lastly, and this goes back to the point I made in the beginning, which we didn't really um, get into in this debate, which is fine, but it's just the idea to say that protest is important, but I think the cornerstone of democracy is its plurality and that people must use the ballot. We have over 40% of eligible South Africans who do not vote. I think that's a concern and perhaps a discussion for another day. Mm.
0: Your final sentiments? About the relationship so, between picketing so. and, yeah, and yeah, definitely, definitely. And Kenneth, your thoughts?
2: Absolutely, yes. I, I think, uh, yeah, for my part, you know, the, the whole issue in terms of how we can try to change this, you know, and how it, it actually can really have impact is if more of us, especially around in civil society, including the rating agencies and everybody else – Start to respond to issues that affect everybody, including those that affect, you know, uh, on on the economically marginalised kind of like, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, living conditions. Mm -hmm. Then that way we we win the moral uh, support of everybody, and then you are more likely to find real uh, 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 response and real kind of like supportive reaction for all kinds of issues if we do it that
0: way well thank you both for giving us this very robust uh, conversation and uh, taking part here in channel africa we really appreciate your time thank you to uh, kenneth Lukuko, who is a senior project leader for community healing at the institute for justice and reconciliation thank you gwen that's gwen thanks. nguenya who's the ceo from the south african institute of race relations We really appreciated your time thanks ben. thank
2: you for having you. me
0: Well, uh, hi, what are your thoughts on this? We're asking it on social media, that particular question. And the question that we're really asking on our social media platforms is the question, how are uh, protests an agent for political change? Or do you think they're a waste of time? Uh, Get into this conversation and discuss this with us on our Twitter handle at African Dialogue or at Channel Africa One. Hey, we've got a song. This one's titled Tomorrow Nation. And um, that's what we want to build, a nation that has possible abilities a uh, continent that has uh, a growth and sustainability and peace. This one is by Ayoba. Love that Uh, Oyaba Tomorrow Nation Good vibes right here on the Channel Africa Channel Africa The African Perspective That's our new identity catcher indeed Hey, we want to tell you the African narrative The African story That's what we're all about Hey, you can hear the tune in that background I really love the energy there Oh, it's beautiful Oyaba we're gonna end up with some music tomorrow, nation, and the band is as I mentioned, Oyaba. Until next week, we'll not hear on Fridays, so we'll be back on Monday. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you only from Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours. From me, Benjamin Mushatama. Enjoy your weekend and God bless.
3: All the things that